are good to go. With more of the Matt Wyatt Show. Coming to you direct and live. Yeah, let's go. Hour two. I, I promise I was not trying to ask you a trick question where, like, there's no right answer. It, it, it's, but, but for effect, instead of saying who's the most veteran group, think of who's the youngest because that would mean you got to go find a position group that is very young, and you really can't find one at state. For the first time in Mike Leach's time as state's coach, they got a veteran team. Now, again, like I said, well. You decide what it's worth. I think it is worth something, uh, you know, sometimes a great deal. And then we'll find out just how much of an impact the veteran team can have in the fall as we start playing games because that's where the rubber meets the road. We'll continue that and then jump into our countdown today, too. On this Friday, a free-for-all Friday, we got uh, the College World Series beginning. They're throwing out first pitch right about now, right about this minute. Any Aggie fan, if you're listening live anyway in the middle of the day, you may be listening via replay, so that's different. But if you're listening live, then uh, Aggie fans, we lo- we're losing you right now. Say it like it is. We're losing you. Texas A&M's fixing to start playing baseball. So a lot to get into. Anything goes on this uh, free-for-all Friday in the Farm Bureau Insurance studio. Farm Bureau Insurance. Go with the home team. And we stay connected to you because of C Spire, the number one network in Mississippi. C Spire, customer inspired. You know, one thing I appreciate about C Spire, you know, I have my, my phone service. I don't actually have my phone with me right now. Mary Liddy's running around here with it somewhere. She's doing something with my phone. <laughs> so if y'all call me and Mary Liddy answers it, she's got the phone right now. But uh, I, they text, C Spire will text me when I'm getting close to my deadline on needing to pay my bill. Instead of like some companies and some businesses out there, they don't text you until you're late. <laughs> C Spire will text me, hey, you got ever how many days, make sure you get your payment in. I'm like, oh, okay, do it. I appreciate that. Don't wait till I'm late. Let me know ahead of time. I appreciate C Spire, the way they do business. Wish everybody did it that way. And not everybody does. That's just another reason why they kind of stand out. Yeah, um, real quick. So if you're just tuning in, we did an exercise. I asked the question, what is Mississippi State football's youngest position group going into the fall? Go through the position groups. They don't have any young ones. I didn't do punter and kicker. (laughs) Okay. Now, Will did point out if you wanted to go that far, Will points out on YouTube that Archer Trafford, our only punter returning, he's a redshirt senior. That's right. He's been around a while. And then he says on kickers, uh, the kickers you have on the roster, Biscardi and Raven, uh, they're both seniors. Okay, so it's largely a veteran team. But then, you know, when you start going, you go D-line. All of your interior defensive linemen are seniors. You go edge, D-line. It's mostly seniors. And, and then it's all seniors and juniors. Linebackers, it's all seniors and juniors, except a guy maybe like, you know, the kid from John Lewis, the kid from Germantown, who is good enough and look good enough, but he may factor in, certainly get some reps, but start, you know, I don't know. It might take an injury for him to actually start. We'll see. Um, all seniors, juniors get most of the reps at receiver. You know, maybe a guy like, 
Thomas or Harmon or someone like that elevates and gets all the reps, they're sophomores, but mostly junior seniors. Offensive line, it's all seniors and juniors. Safety, it's all seniors. <laughs> I mean, it's last year at senior day for state, they sent like eight people out there. That's not an exaggeration. It's like eight guys went out for senior day last year. And a couple of those, I didn't know them. This year's going to be a big senior day. That's going to take a while. They need to plan for that. Okay, because it's going to take a little while to kick off. Because you're going to have so many more. So what is that worth? Glad you liked it, Greg. Like that, pointing that out. And a few of the comments I got on the country-pleasing text line about that. Lynn who he may have actually guessed correctly, the youngest group, the youngest position group as a whole is probably quarterback, QB, because you don't have any seniors competing for the starting job. But Lynn, he did say, so the point is we should be good, in my opinion. Uh, I got a text that says, thanks for shouting out John Lewis, that boy's special, hashtag go Mavs. Yeah, from Germantown. John Lewis, I thought, had an excellent spring. Sometimes spring doesn't always transfer over to the fall. He's got to do that, but... You know, Lewis, if you look at the whole group of linebackers, I mean, Tyrus Wheat, legit NFL prospect, some others, maybe Jet, Nathaniel, get those shots. You know, we'll see. But Lewis' upside is like way up there. And you see it in scrimmages and stuff like that. Now, Doggone said, so what you're saying is this veteran team State's going to have will be terrible next year. No, that's not what I said, doggone. That's what you said, <laughs> and they may be. Okay, let me put it this way. Since we haven't even started practicing yet, we don't know about injuries and who's going to be healthy the first game, all that. Here's what we can say is if they aren't good this year, it's not because they're young. It won't be because of youth. You can't call them a young football team. And in fact, I don't have it added up. When does it, does anybody know when the Phil Steele magazine comes out? I always wind up getting like the physical copy. One year I did the digital where you, you like, you have a subscription to it digitally online and then you can download a copy of it on your iPad or something like that. I didn't like that at all. So I went back to buying the hard copy of the magazine. Does anybody know when the magazine comes out? Anyhow. One of the things I like the most, of course, it will show you too deep and what is expected, and there'll be some information. You know, there's just tons of information you can get on any player, any team, position group, coaches, bowl history, wins, losses, who's returning, who's not, who left off that, all that stuff on two or three pages for every team. But there's one that I like that I don't hear a lot of other people referencing, but it's meaningful to me. And he will put in there not only the number of starters returning on both sides of the ball and then collectively. But the number of lettermen. Okay, lettermen are obviously people on the team coming back who have played for you, who've been on the field, your stadium, in that uniform, for this coaching staff, for that school. You know, that's so, – so there may be a sophomore junior – who's a letterman's played a whole bunch of snaps, even more so than some senior who's coming back. That's something that I look at a lot of times and I can tell, okay, who's going to be some teams that may be overachieving? 
Well, like last year, for instance, you look at Ole Miss last year. If you were to go back to last year's Phil Steele magazine and start flipping through and comparing that, returning starters and a returning number of total lettermen, meaning the makeup of your team, have the majority of these guys played ball for you. Well, last year, going into the year, Ole Miss had, I think, maybe the most returning lettermen of any team in the SEC. There might have been one who was in their ballpark. Maybe it was maybe it was A&M or somebody. But I don't think anybody had more returning lettermen than Ole Miss on that team last year. Doesn't necessarily have to, you know, you can only have 11 starters on either side of the ball. So we talk about starting numbers returning. But we rotate everything, especially defensively, rotating linemen, rotating linebackers, rotating receivers, rotating running backs, rotating tight ends. So how many guys you got on your team? Well, when you got 85 scholarship players on a football team and you tell me 55 of them have played for you previously and are all back, that's a big deal. Yeah, and Rupert, you're right. Rupert's talking about it on the text line right now, talking about returning snaps. And see, that's a really deep dive, you know, analytic. And I don't think that's in the Phil Steele thing. Or at least it hasn't been in the past, the actual number of snaps, right? But then you really start to dive into it. So don't tell me just how many starters you get back. I want to know how many guys on your team have played football for you. And then, again, if you're telling me, well, I said 85, you can have up to 85 scholarship players. But you take a team like Ole Miss last year that didn't even have, I guess, a full 85 on scholarship. What are they, 81, 82? Okay, and almost 60 of the guys in uniform <laughs> have all played football for you? That's a really veteran team, man. You're going to have a great chance to overachieve if you just don't screw it up. And you have a few of the right pieces like a quarterback and those kinds of things. So I don't know this, but I'm just guessing based on what I see on State's roster, because I recognize all those names, and it's all these juniors. See, the whole two deep is pretty much made up of junior seniors. One redshirt freshman on the offensive line, a whole offense, junior seniors. One maybe linebacker, one sophomore, one freshman maybe in your two deep, in the entire defensive two deep. So I bet you when we look up and that magazine comes out, if you go look at that number, I bet it's going to say State's got a good bit of letters back. I would I would just bet. Let's see, Denzel said that Phil Steele said last week his magazine would be ready in a few weeks. All right. So when we look at it, sometime in July, I'm fine with that. Fine with that. And then and then I'm going to move on to the countdown here. But the last thing on that note is of all those position groups. Okay, so we, we went veterans and who what are their ages? They're, they are, that's a veteran team. But question marks. State's offense is going to be offensive tackle because you're replacing a first rounder who's just locked down. And one of your starting tackles projects to be Albert Reese, extremely talented redshirt freshman. And then the other may be a JUCO guy in Percy Lewis who was highly recruited, number one JUCO tackle, but it's different to have the potential and then actually go do it against Alabama and Auburn and LSU and all those people. So, I mean, you know, tackle is a question mark. And then the other thing is, too, you know, being fair 
There's a lot of talent. It's a very highly recruited wide receiver room. You know, when you start looking at numbers of stars and all that kind of stuff, I, they have accumulated a bunch of highly recruited kids in that receiver room. The thing is, it is a question. Somebody's got to do it. Somebody's got to answer that question mark of who is your Makai Polk in 2022. Sort of a go-to. He's a touchdown maker. He's going to lay out and make a few catches for you. He's very dependable. He is what he is. He's going to catch 1,000 yards and you know 60 balls and 1,000 yards without really even thinking about it on the outside. Who is that? You know, who's that going to be? Do you have a Makai Polk on your roster? You know what you have in a slot. Do you have a Makai Polk on the outside? You know, is it going to be Caleb Ducking? He has the potential. Had a good spring. He was running with the ones. Is it going to be, you know, a kid from Georgia who transfers in there who's huge, you know, 6'5", 225 pounds? Or is it going to be a sophomore in Ra Ra Thomas? Is it going to be a redshirt freshman Antonio Harmon? You know, who's going to be your Makai Polk on the outside this year? And that'll be a uh, that'll definitely be a question mark. All right. So we have been doing this and we're going to continue. And since today is Friday, we're going to have two teams that we will take a look at. Today we are 78 days away from the first Saturday in September, the start of the college football season. We're 78 days. Tomorrow will be 77. We don't have a show because it's Saturday. So today we'll do them both. We'll do teams 78 and 77 on the countdown of 90 teams in 90 days. Set your watch for 90. It won't be long. Here we go. The countdown of 90 teams in 90 days. So we'll hit 78 first. Team number 78 on the countdown from the state of North Carolina is. East Carolina. They had a really good baseball team, by the way. Just barely missed out on Omaha. All right, so East Carolina is team number 78 on the countdown of 90 teams in 90 days. And they went 7-5 and five last year in the AAC. They are in the AAC, the American Athletic Conference. How about this? Uh, East Carolina is going to start the season by hosting NC State. North Carolina State, that team last year that won nine games. Of course, they lost in start where they did beat Clemson. They got the quarterback back, had a first-round offensive tackle. NC State's good and competitive for sure uh, in the ACC. So I would think that's a pretty big deal for East Carolina the first week of the season. They're going to – season opener is, is hosting on national television on ESPN in 78 days from today, September 3rd, hosting that NC State team from – the ACC. I see it hosting um, yeah, it's not a neutral site deal, I don't think. East Carolina in Greenville, North Carolina. 7-5 and five a year going to AAC. 5-3 and three in the conference. As I mentioned, okay, so they're going to start off 
with four consecutive home games. Host NC State, host Old Dominion, host Campbell, the Camels, who they're on Jackson State schedule this year, by the way. And they're going to host Navy the last weekend in September. And then some road trips coming up in October, November have to be for East Carolina. In October, they'll go to USF and Tulane back-to-back. They'll host Memphis and UCF back-to-back. Last week of October, they go to BYU. That'll be a fun and beautiful trip, but they'll most likely lose. And in three November games, at Cincinnati, hosting Houston, and then at Temple. The, the schedule sets up, at least in the first two months, for East Carolina to maybe make some noise. you know. But uh, tough non-conference. Got NC State on there. Got BYU on there. BYU on the road. Um, so that's a little bit of a look at East Carolina. Real quick, what, what they did last year. I'm just curious who they who they did beat and who they lost to. Let's see. How about that? So last year they had back-to-back season opening losses against App State and South Carolina. That was a close game with the Gamecocks. How about that? Week two last year, South Carolina beat East Carolina 20 to 17. So they were 0-2. They won a three-game win streak. Then lost back-to-back games on the road at UCF and at Houston, but they took Houston to to overtime. It was a 31-24 overtime win for Houston. A good ball game. And so they started the season three and four, but then went on a four-game win streak in October, November. Beat South Florida Temple, beat Memphis in overtime, thirty to twenty-nine. I know that hurts, doesn't it, State fans? And they beat Navy at Navy, thirty-eight thirty-five. Got whipped up on by Cincinnati, pretty good. They were supposed to play in a bowl game, the Military Bowl against Boston College, but that one got canceled. Uh, so they were one of the bowl game casualties back then. That's team number seventy-eight. Team number seventy-seven. On the countdown of 90 teams, 90 days, is also in Carolina, just the other Carolina, about 200 miles from there. Coastal Carolina. Uh, Coastal Carolina was good. They are good. They're good at just about everything. They won a baseball national championship recently. You know, Coastal Carolina is the Chanticleers. Is it Chanticleers or Chant-a-Clears? Which is it? <laughs> no, who cares? I think it's a, isn't it the Chanticleers. It's like a rooster or something like that. Look it up! Uh, their school colors are teal and bronze. Did you know that? All right, so Coastal Carolina in the Sun Belt went 11-2 last year. 6-2 in the Sun Belt. It's kind of amazing what they're doing in Conway, South Carolina. You know, and the only reason I know that they're in Conway, South Carolina is my friend, uh, Brother Daniel Herringa, who he was the pastor of First Baptist Houston, Mississippi. He's gone back to his home state of South Carolina. But he texted me a while ago, and he saved me a Google because he knows. So these two teams we're doing today, East Carolina is in Greenville, North Carolina. And he told me that Coastal Carolina is in Conway, South Carolina. They're 200 miles apart. So that bit of info, I didn't even look it up. I just asked him. Got a problem with it? Go to him. <laughs> And I appreciate the info. So this year for Coastal, 11-2 and two a year ago. 
They're going to start the season hosting Army in 78 days from today. On September 3rd, they'll host Army. Then it's Gardner-Webb and Buffalo. They hit the road to Georgia State, and that puts them into conference play. Late in the year, they uh, Coastal Carolina will host Southern Miss in the second weekend in November. So last month of the season, Southern Miss is going to go to Coastal. The week before Coastal Carolina will go to Virginia. They finish the year road games at Virginia and at James Madison. So that's a look at the Coastal's schedule for this year. As I mentioned, they won 11 games a year ago. They're a really good football team, huh? Started the season 7-0, That 6-0 run to start the year, they beat the Citadel. They beat Kansas 49-22. They beat Buffalo, beat UMass, beat Louisiana Monroe 59-6. I mean, come on now. Beat them 59-6. And then to go 6-0 on a Thursday night, they beat Arkansas State at Jonesboro 52-20. And then turned around the very next week, went to App State, up in Boone, North Carolina, lost to App State by a field goal. That was their first loss of the year to go 6-1. and one. Won their next two, beat Troy, beat Georgia Southern, and then lost to Georgia State by two. So they had two regular season losses by a grand total of five points. Beat Texas State and South Alabama, and then won a great game. The uh, bowl game against Northern Illinois it was a great game. Beat them 47-41. Uh, in the bowl game. So uh, an 11-win season. Went 10-2 and in the regular season, 11-2 and overall. Well, they'll try to follow it up this year, start off with Army in 78 days. Y'all stick around. Whether it's about winning the game or even losing the game. You're going to hear about them all and get to talk about it with Matt Wyatt right here, right now. That's kind of how I feel about it, Will, is uh, with State missing the College World Series this year, the college football bug has bit me a little earlier than usual. I kind of feel the same way. Uh, I, I certainly do. The College World Series is underway. Top of the first Oklahoma breaks the egg they got uh, on the scoreboard they started the game with a walk and then a single so they had runners on first and third no outs got the fielder's choice to get the run in go up one zip and then a pop up and strike out for texas a&m to get out of it so a run in the top of the first for oklahoma a&m batting bottom of the first the 2022 college world series is underway Let's head over to the phone line, the, the Divini Equipment phone line, Divini Equipment in Madison and in Jackson, your Kubota dealer. Gator Greg on line one. What's up, Greg? Well, Mr. Wyatt, let's, let's talk a little bit about football, and then we'll talk a little bit about baseball. Uh, uh, have you got your stuff there ready to get ready to get over to the media days? Have you ever been in the College Football Hall of Fame in Atlanta? No, I haven't, uh, and I, 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 I hadn't made my plans yet. I don't know that I'm planning on going, I'll be honest with you. I would, I would tell you, I would encourage you, because it is the College Football Hall of Fame. It's a great facility. Uh, I, I would imagine, I guess, the, maybe the room or maybe stuff that I didn't see when I went a little earlier last year. Mm. It's three floors. It has everything. I mean, you can go over there. You can sing. You can sing your fight song if you wanted to. <laughs> it's uh, it's a really great facility to have that in. And I was kind of curious 
Have they announced, or is, is the league going to go to the uh, nine games, or just going to stay at eight, and then you just have the one permanent? They have not announced it yet, Greg. They discussed it at the spring meetings a couple of weeks ago uh, in Destin, right after the SEC baseball tournament. They went ahead and announced certain scheduling models in other sports once Oklahoma and Texas come, but they didn't you know, uh, vote and stamp what model they're going to in football, so we're all still waiting on that. Okay, and I mean, you know, uh, and I know we get into the baseball, but, you know, we're only, what, like you said, 78 days away. Mm-hmm. Got some great matchups that open the weekend. Uh, why I'm looking forward to some of those deals. Uh, as far as the baseball, I, I think when I was talking to you a couple of weeks ago, I, I, I didn't like uh, the, the balls, not that how they played. I mean, I, you know, I, I look at it more casually. I just, people just didn't like, I guess, the type of baseball they played or whatever. They had a great season, but they got knocked out. I didn't think they were going to make it anyway. Uh, I, I think it's going to be Texas and Ole Miss, if you ask me. I, I like the Texas team. You know, they battled Mississippi State mm-hmm. down, went to the wire last year. Yeah. And State got the, the big hit in the night to win it. Uh, they got a pretty good veteran club. And I think uh, Ole Miss, the way they're playing, uh, kind of kind of maybe think it might be their destiny. But, you know, they should be playing like that because they were ranked number one most of the season, they're playing at their potential. So if you're asking me, I'm going to predict the Texas Ole Miss uh, National Championship Series. I'll call you back uh, next. What? And they changed the format this year, I understand. Yep. Uh, the championship would start on Saturday. So I guess because, you know, you, you'd be done at least at work by Monday so people could get uh, back to work. But uh, Mr. White doing a good job. Uh, hopefully we'll see you over there and we talk some SEC football. I'm going to be sad when CBS gets out of it. Because I think you have too much product on ESPN, it's not going to be as good. But we appreciate you, Mr. Wide. You have a good show. Hey, Greg, appreciate you. And, and there's a lot there in your call. But that last thing you said, I, I get it. And I understand why, you know, the SEC would go all out with uh, ESPN slash ABC, the the what the package is worth, the amount of money that ESPN was willing to spend to get all of the SEC television package and get that game of the week away from CBS. They are paying an unreal amount of money. It's going to put a lot of money in the pockets of the schools. It's a smart financial decision for the SEC, obviously, because you're coming up on a time. Who knows if we're going to hit recession status in the next ever how long. You know, That's for some other expert to figure that out. <laughs> I say some other expert very sarcastically to figure that out. But we do know, too, that in-stadium attendance is declining a little bit and a little bit and a little bit. It's just going to continue to do that. People staying home, and you're going to have to offset. You're going to have to find new ways to fund your team and uh, and all of that. Because you're asking now, you know, a lot of – a lot of I, I know I'm chasing rabbits here – and this is all about the decision to get away from CBS and go with ESPN and take the money for the SEC. Your your schools are now, you got these collectives asking your donors and alumni base to donate to collectives to be able to pay athletes to either get them to come to school or keep them there. And that takes money away from where they normally donated and what it normally goes to. Maybe coaches' salaries and elsewhere and other expenses. So it offsets some of that in the future. And all that's good. But I agree with you, Greg, wholeheartedly. 
the product that CBS put on television, and I know people had a hard, you know, at times they would argue about they didn't like the announcers, but the product that CBS put on for that game every week was top-notch. From camera angles and stories, the way they carried the game, if they, if you were watching a CBS deal, and we'll see it this year, if they get into an offshoot story, it's worthy. And it's done right. And they hit it and quit it and get back to the game. They just do a better job, frankly, than ESPN does with its product. And I cringe a little bit too, Greg, at the thought of everything that's going to be on TV from an SEC football standpoint is going to be an ESPN deal. Because like I told you all last year, it's so clear to anybody with one good eye and one good ear, you turn on a college football broadcast on Fox, which they were doing, what, Big 12 and what, Pack or whoever, whatever games they do. They've done a lot of big games, Big 10 stuff too. From the pregame to the in-game broadcast to the halftime in the studio, everything about it was bigger, better, more professional, more slick, more engaging, uh, quicker, less intrusive, less silly. I mean, everything about it was better. Everything about a college football game broadcast on Fox is 10 times better than even the best one you can find on an ESPN deal. And it's a philosophical difference, obviously, in the way they want to carry those things. So, you know, I even found my, you, you almost wish that Fox had had the money to outbid ESPN so the SEC could go there because then the TV product would be so much better. Hey, we're here, though, and I, I agree with you on that. Now, Greg said, who'd he go? He goes Texas and Ole Miss is his one and two. He thinks that those two may come out of it. What about this? And, and I don't know who this is, but, like, I'm watching the beginnings of this Oklahoma-Texas A&M game out there in the College World Series. And it's, you know, the guy on the mound for Oklahoma in the bottom of the first. It's a big 6'5 left-handed guy with a fastball, 94-95. Okay, a swing and miss changeup. He's their ace. <laughs> and, you know, you watch him pitch. First battery face, he strikes him out. And it takes you back to the importance of the pitching. And, look, this is going to sound like a broad statement. It's really not. This is what you got to have. You have to have at least one, but really two starting pitchers. You want to win this thing in Omaha, you got to have two starting pitchers who are like legit big prospects, but pitch the best they've ever pitched. They got to go be an ace against the best hitters and best teams in the country. That's what it is. And then you have to have a back end also. So if you want to use State last year as a comparison, which of the teams in Omaha this year are going to have the equivalent of what State had on the mound last year, which was their second guy. And I say their second. He was really their best, but he was just the second one they went to in the order. But Bednar. Bednar went out and was the College World Series MVP. Struck out 15 in his first start in Omaha. Works his way up to a mid you know, first-round pick of the, of the Giants was just unhittable. 
was the best he's ever been in college in Omaha. Ace, unhittable, best starting pitcher in Omaha all of the College World Series last year was Will Bednar. On top of when State went to Houston Harding, the lefty, as their third starter, he was the best maybe he's ever been. He was fantastic. Rose to the occasion. Now, he wasn't the 95-mile-an-hour dominant but absolutely rose to the occasion. That's a one and two. And then, when you needed to finish the game, in came Landon Sims. More than once, who was the best closer in the country, but he was certainly the best closer in Omaha. See, so State goes and wins it last year. They had the best starting pitcher in Omaha, and they had the best closer in Omaha. And in between, they had another starter who pitched the best he's ever pitched. Which of these teams is going to do that? Which one of these teams this year will have the best starting pitcher in Omaha and the best closer in Omaha? Because that's who will win it. It ain't about, like, best potential either. I'm talking perform the best. A few years ago, Auburn had Casey Mize. They didn't win it. It's who performs the best. Who is it? Who's going to do it? Never know. Oklahoma may surprise everybody before it's all over with. They got a lead right now. All right, we'll wrap the week up with you next here in the Farm Bureau studio. Stick around. back with you still a little time left with you here on this friday it may be the final day of the week but it's the first day of the college world series in omaha it's underway if you're listening live it's just underway if you're listening via replay later tonight somewhere else around the state then um some results may be in baseball still going on but at any rate today friday is the first day and trouble for AM, Boomer Sooner is in business in the top of the second out in Omaha. It's already early, and Boomer Sooner, the Oklahoma Sooners, have the bases loaded with two outs, a 3 0 count, and it's a, just a bit inside. And so that'll walk a run in, make it 2 nothing Oklahoma in the top of the second, still batting with the bases loaded. And, uh, oh, my goodness. Here's the thing about it, too. The kid that just drew the walk, his name is Peyton Graham for Oklahoma. Batting with the bases loaded, of course, he drew a walk. But they put a stat up there. He has hit three of the four grand slams for Oklahoma this year. So how about that? Oklahoma's hit four grand slams this year, but one guy's hit three of them. It was that guy. And there is a base hit up the middle. That's going to score two. <laughs> With two outs, it's now 4 nothing on a two-out single up the chute for Oklahoma. It's 4 to nothing. Oklahoma over Texas A&M at the top of the second inning. Runners now at first and third. Corners there with still two outs. And 
They are not out of it yet. Aggies have quickly gotten some arms you know, going down in the bullpen there in Omaha. Not at TD Ameritrade Park, no. It's Charles Schwab Field. Say that five times fast. You can't do it. Oh, man, second baseman for the Aggies just laying out, giving it his best effort. and He, he needed a, a glove that was about two and a half inches tall or longer, and he might have made that play. They've got a lefty loose in the bullpen right now. Let's hit the uh, phone line, Divinity Equipment phone line, Divinity Equipment in Madison and in Jackson. Ryan on line one. Hey, Ryan, what's up? Hey there. What's happening? I, I, I finally got to meet Leach. Yeah, I saw your do Leach for Leach. All right, I saw your tweet about it. So you did your Mike Leach impression for Mike Leach. What did he say to you? Well, yeah, he said, "Well, before I, before he uh, before I did it, he said, well, you know, I heard a lot of people, <laughs> a lot of people uh, try to do an impression of me. Yeah, I'd like to hear it.'" <laughs> and I said, "Well." Well, a fellow I know, uh, uh, Reed Bias, says uh, that I sound like you, and I put I, I made sure to put his name on the spot, so uh, that way uh, he gets a little bit. Of, um, so that way, when uh, Reed he sees Reed at practice, main he'll get a uh, hopefully he'll get a um, earful for yeah, him. Yeah, right, right. It's all Reed's fault. Uh, right. um, but he liked your impression, Ryan. Yeah, it's it? always Reed's fault. He he seemed to like it and uh I, and I, and I, and I'll post the full thing on uh on my uh, TikTok. Okay. So so TikTok. how do I find you? How do I find you on TikTok? What do I look for? Rhino Caliendo. Rhino R-Y-N-O. R-Y-N-O, and then Caliendo after that. Rhino Caliendo. I'm gonna look you up. Is it on there yet, or have you posted it yet? I haven't posted it yet. Okay. Hey, how many fo- the, how many followers you have on uh, how many followers you have on TikTok? Uh, I just got uh, about like nine thousand three hundred twenty-six. <laughs> you said, hold on. You said you said about nine thousand three hundred twenty-six. That's not about. That's exact. <laughs> I'm just messing <laughs> with you. All right. What were you going to say, Ryan? Before I interrupted you. He gave he gave the best uh, the best of what uh, what he would do if he was a lawyer. You know how he was, how people always ask him. You know what type of lawyer would you be? Mm-hmm. He gave the best one. He said, "Well, you know if you know if a lawnmower if a guy was riding a lawnmower, okay, and then the lawnmower you know cut his leg off or something like that." <laughs> And, you know, I'd be the one to go over there with some butcher paper and wrap it up and throw it in an ice box, <laughs> okay, and take it over to the courthouse and lay it on the table and say, you see that leg right there? <laughs> you know, it should be on my client's leg right now. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so... and. So he's just saying he would be in the uh, personal injury lawyer business, is what he'd be suing corporations, <laughs> as he said. Suing corporations, for instance, lawnmowers cutting legs off. 
Make sure you save the leg for evidence. <laughs> Good gracious. Wrap it in butcher paper and put it in the Yeti. <laughs> That's good stuff. <laughs> Ryan, good to hear from you, man. I'm going to look you up on TikTok. Oh, and one more little thing. All right. I, I, may be, uh, I may be on the verge of getting my first endorsement. Oh, really? Tell me about it. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to say it, who it is yet. Okay. I'll, I'll tell you who it is when they give me money. <laughs> That's... That's smart business, Ryan. Make them, make them pay you first, okay? <laughs> but feel free to clue me in when that happens, all right? <laughs> all right. Have a good day, Matt. All right, you too, Ryan. He's on the verge of his first endorsement, but he's not going to say who it is until they give him money first. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a good idea. That's the way it ought to work. <clears throat> that's good stuff. Hey, update from Omaha. Top of the second inning, Sooners still batting. It's now five to nothing, Oklahoma. The largest deficit overcome in a College World Series game at this park. Charles Schwab Field is four runs. Last year, both Vanderbilt and Mississippi State had four-run comebacks. They brought in a lefty, Joseph Menifee, facing a lefty. Runners at first and second with two outs. That ball is absolutely tattooed, gone <laughs> into the bullpen in right field. A three-run home run in the top of the second makes it 8 nothing Sooners. They have scored seven, I repeat, seven runs in the top of the second inning capped by this three-run home run. Exit velocity 105. It went 354 feet into the bullpen. It looked a lot like that one Tanner Allen hit last year. It is now 8 to nothing. Eight to nothing in the second inning. Hey, somebody find Ross Bjork because he probably wants Oklahoma to uh, be fined and reprimanded for being mean. <laughs> Eight to nothing. Now, uh, Menifee just got a ground ball out to get out of the inning. And uh, good night. But the first battery face gets a breaking ball, hangs over the plate. Kid for Oklahoma turns on it, hits it out of the park, three-run home run. And see, the thing about it is they, they brought Menifee in in a 5 nothing game with two outs to face the lefty. All right, with two runners on base. The lefty at the plate for Oklahoma. They bring him in. He's a lefty. Menifee's numbers were great this year. Listen to this. Joseph Menifee for Texas A&M, lefty, 82 strikeouts in 48 and two-thirds inning coming in. I mean, he's a pro. He ain't there yet, but he's approaching two strikeouts per inning across the whole year and goes in and gives up a three-run shot first battery faces. Now, 
So uh, let's see. And then there was there were there was like a 2018, maybe 2017, two other times in College World Series history at this park where a team overcame a four-run deficit. But that's the largest deficit ever overcome in that park. Four different times. It happened twice last year. State was one of them. Down by four, you come back and win. They're down by eight in the second inning. So they're up against it, but it's a chance for Texas A&M to make history right now. And I don't know if y'all are watching or if you've had a chance to flip over there and just take a look, but there is a great crowd. Bill, are you able to watch it right now at all? No, I'm not, not watching yet. it, no. Okay, well, I'm just – I know you're going to watch, like, tonight through the weekend. I will, too. And this is something we need to talk about on Monday. They have a huge crowd there for this first game. Of course, being Oklahoma and being Texas A&M, big fan bases, you know, proximity is good to Omaha. But they got a big crowd for this first game there. I wonder what the crowds are going to look like the rest of the way. And I wonder what tomorrow night on Saturday night, Ole Miss and Auburn, what that crowd is going to look like. Bill, I hope you have a great weekend, sir. You too, sir. I will most likely see you on Monday, but I'll fill you in uh, on that as we get a little closer. Regardless, I'll be back Monday with y'all here in the Bureau of the Farm Bureau Insurance Studio. Have a great weekend, and we will see you on Monday. 